We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Arakwal people of the Bunjalong Nation, and pay our respects to Elders past and present. Hello, Yummy Mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums-to-be and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Jade. Hello, Sophie and everybody listening. How are you this week? I am much better this week than last week. I won't go on and on about sleep for too long because I know it is literally the most boring topic ever. But it is your life at the moment. But also it's nice to relate, I feel, because you can feel like when you're up for the fifth time overnight that you're the only person in the world doing this. But things have definitely gotten better. I don't even know if it's the sleep has gotten better or if my mindset has gotten better. We gave the dummy back. We went five so, days. Mum said, she goes, so the dummy's back. I missed this bit. I missed a split <laughs> second on Instagram and I think you had it on your lap or something. So, yeah, this is the thing. So I posted a video of like, guess who's back? Back, back, back again, again, again. And then I wrote like the dummy's back and it was Pearl asleep with the dummy. And I think because maybe it was a little bit into the video that you saw the dummy, people just skipped through. They were like, oh, Sophie's fucking singing or doing whatever again. (laughs) Sophie's just being Sophie again. And so they missed it. And then a couple of slides later, I posted a picture of Nick and I accidentally couple dressing. We were both in like white waffle knits and blue jeans. And I just had the dummy in my lap. And all these people wrote back thinking that I was trying to hide it as though I was like ashamed that the dummy was back and they were like, we can see the dummy. I was (laughs) like, I'm not trying to hide it between my legs. I'm being honest. The dummy's back. (laughs) The ditch didn't work. Anyway, so we ditched it for five nights and then we realised her sleep was still crap. She was just taking longer to settle and using my nipple as a pacifier instead of the dummy. But I'm still happy that we gave it a go. I think some people think I did it because I was so worried about her having a dummy or, oh, my goodness, we were going to have to get rid of it later down the track. But Mm. that was not the issue. I don't care. I've got a five-year-old who still sucks her thumb. I'll deal with that one day. It was more so I thought it was interfering and making her sleep worse. So I think part of giving the dummy back (laughs) And now she settles really quickly again. I feel like sleep has gotten better, but maybe it hasn't. Maybe it's just there's less rocking. As long as you feel good, that's all that matters. Yeah. So guys out there, take rid of the dummy just so you can (laughs) give it back and feel better. But I will say, I know we shouldn't talk about sleep out into the universe because then the universe comes back and bites you in the butt. But things are so bad anyway. I'm like, I think I deserve to be able to talk about a small win. We had one five-hour sleep stint of sleep the other night. (gasps) And I tell you what, I felt like I could have taken on the world 
taken on the world. So that's been amazing. And just going with the path of least resistance, she's often really like not unsettled. She's never that upset, but really wakeful from two or three onwards. And I've just started co-sleeping with her. I've looked up how to safely co-sleep and I've been doing that. And it's been really beautiful. I've been, I've just been thinking, this is my last child. Your other two ended up in bed with you at two years old anyway just do whatever works and gets me the most sleep possible. So that is where we are at. But she's a freaking joy and a delight and I'm obsessed with her. (laughs) Good on you. It's about the little wins, right? That's what gets you through. Now, how are you and how has your week been? Okay, so I've got one literal high and it actually turns into a little bit of a low. I haven't shared this. I didn't think it was probably appropriate to share on Instagram. So I thought the BTB community would... We just keep it for our really small listenership. Yeah, yeah, we do. (laughs) Anyway, so here it goes. So I did yoga the other day. I've been doing lots of like flow yoga and absolutely loving it. I was doing the three-legged downward dog. And at yoga or? Yep. In the bedroom? No, nah, not at, not in the bedroom this time. <laughs> I was actually in yoga and I lifted up my leg and uh, my right leg and I felt air go right into my no. birth canal. And I knew there was only one way this was going to end. So I kept my leg up until I could process how to get it down without doing my worst fear. Without doing a fanny fart. And please tell me this happens to other people post kids or even before you've had kids because I was so embarrassed. I put my leg down and I I heard and I was like Oh my God. I looked around. Thankfully, it wasn't a full class. So no one, I don't think, heard. But then she was like, okay, now we're going to take the left leg and we're going to raise that. And I was like, I'm just going to sit here and breathe. And I just thought, how often does this happen to everyone? And do they know that it's actually a normal thing to have airflow in when you're raising a leg, especially after kids? And I came home and told Harry and Harry's like, yeah, babe, girls fight in yoga all the time. I'm like, how do you know what they do? And I'm like, also, just so you're clear. He's like, yeah, creeping every five minutes. I'm like, also, just so you know, they're not farting. They're probably got air that's come in. Creeping. Yeah, creeping in to the vagina and then it's coming back out. So it's not like they're ripping fast left, right and centre. The thing that gets me about the queef is I feel like it catches you off guard more than a fart. Like you can feel a fart's coming, you can feel when a fart's done and finished, whereas with a queef, that air goes up there and it doesn't necessarily come straight out. It can catch you off guard and then you think all the air's out and then it's got another instalment ready for you. Mine doesn't, hasn't happened in yoga or Pilates, but it is my biggest fear I actually think about it every time there's a leg up somewhere but it's definitely happened during sex that that pocket just gets in there it gets plugged and then it just it just lets rip at very random moments absolutely but I don't like that doesn't bother me because it actually makes us laugh when it happens or we just try a different position and it's not a class full of people watching no it's it's your (laughs) it's your partner but yeah like in a social setting it is quite you know challenging to try and get over that hurdle. So one of my close friends can queef on demand. What? 
like suck it in, blow it out. Oh, that's impressive. Blow it out. That's so impressive. impressive. How does she do it? I'm going to try it. No, I don't need to try it. I'm already doing enough. Get into training. Yeah. She's like, I've canceled yoga. I'm just in queef training now. Well, that's fabulous. And then why did that turn into a low? Because the low was that I actually lowered myself (laughs) and queefed all over the yoga studio. (laughs) Anyway, that sucks. But, you know, onwards and upwards from here. I've got a mum hack and this was sent in as a reel on Instagram. Absolute genius idea. Mums have got a new lease of life when it comes to the shopping centre. All you have to do if you've got a baby or toddlers that usually drive you mad in a trolley is turn them around and make it like they're driving the trolley. Game changer. I don't get it. So you're pushing it from the back and they're facing the front and they all of a sudden think it's like a truck or a bus and they're the ones pushing forward. So usually their back is Uh going backwards. This time. Yeah, they're facing you. Yeah. So so now their back is to you. Yeah, and they're the ones in front seeing everything. They're not just seeing your face that they see all the time. They're the ones thinking they're in control going, yep, we're driving it here, there, when you're just putting all the shopping in. They're going to aisle four, aisle four, go to the confectionery aisle. Yeah. (laughs) But it was good. That's brilliant and it's been working for people. It's been working for people. Apparently that's gone viral and people are just like, wow, something so simple has been so effective in getting the shopping And I feel like we've said this one before but while we're on the topic of supermarkets and supermarket hacks what you do is you take stickers of their favorite character so it might be Paw Patrol or whatever and you stick it on like a normal mandarin and suddenly they want that one because it's you know how they always charge more for the branded things and they're often absolute crap so you just pop it on you know the mandarin or you pop it on a normal yogurt and you're like oh look at the Paw Patrol yogurt so there you go I like it I never heard and of that and the third hack is do not take your children yeah. to the, the final hack is don't take them if you don't have to don't take them that's but it. I know sometimes it just has to happen that's true. now Jade tell us about this episode oh. and how did you feel when we were recording it because I feel like this was a special one it was so this episode is all about Harry being a father of 10 years and pretty much from the start of us falling pregnant to where we're at today. It includes his perspective on becoming a young dad, growing up, gender disappointment, postnatal depression, relationship challenges, communication, so much stuff. And after we had recorded this episode with you, I, for the next 48 hours, felt a lot of emotion and it was incredibly therapeutic for Harry and I I think because it brought out a lot of truths and apologies I've never heard Mm. from Harry ever and there was a lot of ownership vulnerability and honesty between the both of us and we put everything on the table in this episode we have come so far in 16 years and we are proud of our highs and our lows because they've led us to where we are today so if this episode helps anyone or you just like hearing our truth then we really appreciate it because it is an incredibly vulnerable episode I think it's probably I know I've spoken about postnatal depression and my my mental health but like this is my other half this is my my relationship that I'm mm. I'm putting out there and my husband's putting out there so yeah we we gave it everything and what do you think <laughs> oh no I really want to thank Harry I mean you often say you're an open book and he's a very private mm. person but some of the things he admitted to and apologized for 
he didn't have to do that. Like he could have... I don't know. There's some things that he could have got away with without saying. Mm. And so I really want to thank him because I think that a lot of people will listen to this and think that's either where my relationship is at or where it was, or, you know, I see little bits of my relationship in things that he's saying. And yeah, I really love that he didn't gloss over the hard parts. He really really owned them and was very, very vulnerable. So I thank him so much. And I thank you too. It, it, it's it's a lot to put your relationship out into the open for other people <laughs> to dissect. Well, you're all very welcome and enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> hello, Harry and hello, Jade. Welcome to the pod. Oh, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Now we, well, not we, I am so excited to chat today because you guys have just hit a very special milestone. I'm very, very proud of you guys. 10 years of parenthood. You made it. How does it feel? High five, babe. Great effort. Well, let me just say I'm very, very honoured to be on this podcast because speaking of milestones, I know you girls have done really, really well lately. I get to see the stats all the time from Jade. She loves their stats. and uh, <laughs> I gloat a little bit. Yeah, and they reflect what? all the hard work you girls do and it's, um, yeah, it's great, onward and upward. Okay, but we're not talking about us. This is your one time well, to talk about you. Was so how time. about yeah. you? <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, her birthday was yesterday, 10th birthday, and it, uh, it came up quite quick, very quick. Yeah, it's really flown. I, I I know everyone says that, especially when you have a toddler or a baby, but like when you get to having a daughter or a child that's 10 years of age, you really just go, where on earth has that time gone? 10 years. Oh, it's huge. It's a that's decade. That's a long time to keep someone alive. It's a long time for responsibility. <laughs> it's a lot. And I think that when you're, you're in the thick of it, you kind of – yeah, you just go along every day and then all of a sudden there's double digits in front of you mm. and you're like, wow, this is it now. Let me just say that keeping anything alive, period, for 10 years is difficult. Yeah, speak yes. to my house plants. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> now, I am very much in the thick of it right now, so no pressure, but I am hoping that this chat gives me the perspective I need, <laughs> that I've got to savour this moment, this is a season, all those kind of cliches, but I want you to take us back to the start, Harry. How long had, had you and Jade been together when you decided or found out that Jade was pregnant for the first time? So we got together in 2008. She was born in 2013 so 2012 she was conceived uh so I would have been 22 do you remember where she was conceived I I do I do do you yeah where it was in Thailand it was she was made in Thailand and she was and she was on all fours oh no (laughs) (laughs) no I I (laughs) don't You were on contraception at the time. Yes. Yeah, but she got her appendix out prior and she was on antibiotics and other medications and it cancelled it out apparently. Now, this is a real like... Yes, that is a thing. No, that isn't a thing because since we've had doctors on specialists, they've actually said, some of them have said that actually makes no difference whatsoever. Some have said, yeah, I don't know. But regardless, we fell pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. And so you were 22 and Jade was 25. Oh, little toy boy. I love my little toy boy. (laughs) (laughs) But 22, that's young. I think 
in the 10 years that's preceded that, I think it's gotten younger, especially in Byron. People have started, or it seems like people have had kids younger. But back then, I didn't know any different. I did feel young um, and I definitely, I was young maturity wise. And maybe tell them how, because I've said it on my, like my version of it, but how did I tell you that I was pregnant? Um, I still remember I got a phone. You were, Well, I was in Byron, you were in Melbourne. You were visiting know. family. Okay. Yeah. And I remember I was at a friend's house and um, yeah, so 22, I had a few friends that were younger than me there, I remember. And I had some friends who were older than me there. So when we found out, it was kind of a surprise for everyone. And I remember I was at Gaz's house and Joelby and a few friends were there and I told them and they actually retold me the story recently and I forgot about it. Oh, really? Yeah, and they were were blown away about it, probably more than me. Uh, And I remember calling you, playing the dumb card, saying like, oh, what do we do? I remember saying, what do we do? And I knew that was like pretty much a rhetorical question because I already knew Jade's stance on that. She's an only child and nothing against abortion whatsoever. I'm pro-choice. And, uh, but you know, I had to ask just because I was flabbergasted at what I'd just been told. And I was, what are we going to do? But yeah, I already knew the answer. I already knew her stance on it. So it was a, it was a no brainer. You actually thought that I was breaking up with you because I said, yeah, so my girlfriend said, just wait till he gets back. And I said, I don't like, I tell Harry everything. I can't keep somebody like this. so weird on the phone. Yeah. So (laughs) I just said, I have to tell him it has to get out off my chest. So I called him and I said, hey, babe, I think you need to sit down. I've got something to tell you. And immediately I remember him saying like, are you breaking? Who you- is it? Who is <laughs> it? <laughs> yeah, you breaking up with me. And I said, I'm pregnant. We're pregnant. And I think you were really good about it. Like, oh, why, why wouldn't I be? Yeah. We, we, because we, you're a 22. Like, it's fair if you're not. Yeah. Look, look, if I didn't know Jade's view on it all, and she has always been like very maternal even before she had children she had that maternal vibe about her she's an only child all her parents had her quite young and uh that means that you know all her parents friends who had kids later on jade was the one that was there Mm. taking care of them and helping them and you know as like an uh, older role model or sister figure or mother figure and i knew that she was the one and this was it so it was all kind of i knew what was going to happen so it wasn't too much of a shock um, I remember telling my parents and they weren't shocked either. They were kind of like, oh, yeah, this is, that's normal. They I were, think they uh, said, well, at least you're not getting married. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. I mean, your separate. parents, what, they had you when they were 17. They were probably like, what took you so long? Yeah, <laughs> seriously. And my parents had me at 45. Exactly. So, so 45. 45. So, yeah, so when we all get together. My parents are as old as Jade's grandparents. Oh, that's so interesting. And a lot of my friends, who I always had a lot of older friends, they are the same age as Jade's parents. So when I first met Jade, we were in LA. I was over in LA with a band, not playing in a band, just being a little pleb, hanging out with a band. Being uh, they Yeah, exactly. And they flew home and I was talking to Jade on MySpace and, you know, we'd already built this rapport, talking on the phone, hadn't met each other yet. So, uh, and then I said, oh, I'm going to change my flight. So I was 18 and I changed my flight to stay in, stay in uh, LA and I stayed in uh, Inglewood, which if anyone knows Dr. Dre and, and the old rap, they, they know that Inglewood and Compton are pretty close and pretty sketchy. So I stayed there for two days in a cigarette motel four where you can s- smoke and I just stunk like cigarettes till you got there. 
And then I got a taxi to... And a shower. <laughs> yeah, and to Anaheim Disneyland. Yeah, and in this time you did not smoke, you were straight edge, so you're very drug-free lifestyle. So if you came in so, smelling like so cigarettes... Funny, funny story, when I was on on the tour with the, with the band and with some friends, I didn't have, I either couldn't afford or I didn't have cologne. Maybe I was too young for cologne, I don't know. But I remember seeing a mate's cologne there and I, no joke, because I wanted to smell nice when I saw you, I opened the bottle and poured it into like a Ziploc bag <laughs> to save some because I knew I was staying in, um, you know, staying back for a few days and coming to see you. And I actually oh, used it. And I also think I, you know, borrowed a hair straightener too. To, you know, he to, had, you know. Yeah, he did straighten his hair. Yeah. Did you have like this side? Yeah, he looked yeah, like yeah, um, yeah, exactly yeah. like Zach from. Oh, uh, yeah. Of still does, still does. I don't know why you're speaking in past tense. <laughs> but I, I'm digressing a bit. But the word I was getting to was J- I met Jade's parents the first day that I met her. So the <laughs> wow. ice was well and truly broken and it still blows my mind. They were 39. Yeah. I'm 33 now. Jade's 35. Jade's dad was 39 when I met him. And all my friends, they were, you know, 10, 12 years older than me. A lot of my friends were. And now a lot of my friends are in their 40s and I just think back to that moment where I was meeting a 39-year-old, like my age now, mm, and yeah. just putting myself in that position as a dad, looking, it just, it's all surreal. Yeah, my dad was at my mum's mum's, so his mother-in-law's 40th birthday party, and that blows my mind that yeah, they, yeah, that they, and I mean, it's similar because you would have been at Jade's parents' Yeah, like 40. you would have been around yeah. when yeah, they yeah. turned 40. Yeah. And, yeah, my dad was at his in-law's 40th, and that blows my mind. Anyway, moving on, was there anything you did while Jade was pregnant to prepare for fatherhood? Did you make some friends that had kids? How did you feel uh, about it, what it was, was ahead of you? It was totally uncharted waters. Not many of my friends had had children, pretty much no one. And I was in Melbourne in a city that's pretty uh, foreign to me at the time. What, 20, what year was this? 2013. So I'd been in Melbourne for four or five years, actually. So it wasn't too foreign. But I didn't have many old friends there um, and no one with children. And I was studying at the time, but we did everything. We did the, um, we did like the first aid class, the swaddle class. I went to every one of the meetings. So appointments. Yeah, the appointments. And I, I was really involved because, you know, I had to, I was 22. I didn't know what to expect, but Jay didn't know what to expect either. So we were kind of leaning on each other in that regard. So we went to the hospital and they had all these little groups that you could do attend, like going into the third trimester, you could then go into swaddling classes, nappies, and when you have no idea mm. how to do these things, especially when you're so young or even at any age, it was a really good space to be in because there were dads supporting the mums, mums supporting the dads, everyone giving it a go. And I've actually got photos of Harry swaddling this doll and he swaddled that like a ninja. He was like <laughs> absolutely like, natural. Nailed it. And I was like, wow, you're better at that than I am already. So mm. it was just like a nice confidence thing mm. to know that we were, you know, that we got come home and like get a teddy bear and try and like wrap it. And how were you guys financially at this time? Was that a oh, stress? Very, um, you know, very low income. I was studying and working at a gym and I was trying to study and I did a second study of personal training. Um, and I, I bought this cheap little Honda motorbike to ride into the city 
and you were doing your marketing stuff. Yeah, so I did marketing and advertising and that was like five days a week. So Harry was doing creative writing, personal training because he thought if I could get more money, I'd mm. do PT and he was always going to that gym. So yeah, it kind of made sense. I was working sense. in a gym in South Yarra. Yeah, and sort of combining it all. And, yeah, look, we weren't in a financial position to have a child. If You know, whenever someone says, oh, you know, do you feel ready and you tick off all those boxes, well, maternally absolutely I felt ready I probably felt ready my whole life to have a child but financially no do we have a house no, no we, were we renting yes we you know. had sh- we were in a share house with two other people in Glen Iris and you know so we had people living with us in the first stages of having a baby which is difficult for them difficult for for you as oh, well oh wow so you were in the share house yeah. when she was born so yeah. we yeah. took upstairs they had downstairs but obviously you have a communal kitchen and i'm extremely like we both had dogs as well we had dogs <laughs> like it's it's not ideal because yeah. it's incredibly stressful when someone leaves the dishes in the sink that's not your partner that you can't go hey yeah. i i don't have time to do this and that with a baby yeah and it wasn't their fault. They don't have the child, but you can't tell someone who doesn't have kids what's going through your brain. Oh, and night. even going through that massive transition with other people around constantly would be really hard. Oh, absolutely. Going back to the swaddle classes, one thing I remember noticing was we all had that feeling of being in it together. Like there was 50-year-old dads Mm. that that was their first time. There was 18-year-olds that you can tell it just happened and they're just like, you know, going with it. Then there was people like me a little bit older that are in a similar boat to everyone and everyone just got along and, you know, we're all kind of feeding off each other's naivety in that situation. And it was kind of nice being in a room with other people showing that vulnerability because it's like, all right, Five billion people on this earth and everyone had to go through this at some Mm. point. That was a small myopic uh, situation that reminded me of that. You know, we're in there with these different diverse people and, you know, we're all all going through the exact same thing. Mm. Sometimes it helps to remind yourself that it is not that everyone is lucky enough or chooses to have kids, but it is such a common experience that sometimes during the hard times you go, so many people got through this, not to belittle your challenges, but to think so many people got through this. Every person walking around, you know, their parent or parents had to have gone through this at some stage. Like, we can do this. Yeah. It is literally, literally the most common thing on earth. Yeah. Everyone had to be born at some stage. True. Yeah. And everyone had to be looked after, brought up. Mm. So, yeah, it's, you know, five billion people or whatever the population is, everyone had to get here somehow. And so how was watching Jade or helping Jade go through birth for the first time? Oh, the the birth, the birth itself was harrowing. It was like a 20, <laughs> was it, was, it, it was 24 hour. Oh, sorry. Yeah. You know, but for me, no, from your perspective, yeah, well, time. you know, it, <laughs> <JP quite. laughs> you know, it wasn't painful physically for me, but it was harrowing on, in a mental and psychological way because, you know, I'm a 22 year old. We, your waters broke in Glen Iris at two in the morning, got in the car. I remember driving, had the bag, which we, didn't forget this time, the first time we were onto it. And I remember driving through the city of like North Melbourne, early morning, traffic lights, trying to get to the Royal Women's, getting lost, you know, all this sort of stuff. So getting there already, like you, at that time, you think the baby's coming in the car. When yeah. Yeah. Like every movie. Yeah. It didn't come 
for 24 hours, you know, but we were there for five, six hours and the contractions were getting uh, shorter and then they were like, oh, you can go home. It looks like it's you've been here eight hours, nothing's happened. Go home when it starts speeding up, come back. And we were like, no, we're not doing that. I'm not trying to get back here across the whole city in peak hour mm. traffic with no sleep. It just sounds pointless. And they were like, oh, like kind of arming and ahhing about it. And I just pretty much put my foot down. 22 year old and said look no like I don't feel comfortable doing it she's as uncomfortable as it gets yeah that was you advocating for your family already and she wasn't even born yeah yet. it was it, you know and you ha- and yeah, these are the positions you have to take as a father or father to be now as a 22 year old there were some things that were quite obvious that you were 22 because not that you weren't helpful in any way but you were getting dressed up by the midwives at some point while I was having a few contractions do you remember that look you had the epidural so you were like watching Seinfeld and you're feeling better <laughs> after like 25 hours and I yeah I let my hair down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you know I remember I had the I had a blown up surgical glove on my head yes getting, like a chicken getting a little flirty with the nurse and Jade comes in front of me Jade comes, I'm like Jade comes too. <laughs> um, yeah, no, look, you know, we're in there for 30 hours, you know, you got to, you know, however you handle it, everyone handles it differently. That's, that was one slip up and you just woke up and I'm acting like an idiot. So, you know. It's one slip lesson. up, but I've heard her tell that story at so least nine times. Well, it's better than the one with Billy where I was like getting food or something down the road. Asking if you like, wanted a ham or chicken sandwich. I've heard that, that one, one too. And the <laughs> nurse calls me and is like, you need to be here. It is coming. She is coming now. And um, yeah, you had I had to, to run. Speed. I, had to, I was driving, I think. I had to drive back, yeah. Mm. And then so she's born. How was that? adjustment to being a dad did you feel like being a dad came naturally the birth itself was very very scary she had to had to get a a episiotomy and I had to stand out in the in the hallway with my scrubs on Jade's parents couldn't come no one was with me it's like two in the morning just like this echoey sterile chamber by this time it was probably 9 30 at night because she was born at 11 well it felt like 2 a.m yeah and they rushed you into the into surgery or whatever it was in case. And when they finally let me in there, there's there was so I couldn't believe it. I thought it was just like one nice midwife that gives birth. There was like 15 people in there, people holding the scissors, holding the scalpels, people all in their scrubs, like lights, um, the big blue blanket where mm. they can see, I can't see. And I heard one thing I remember I heard, I heard this like this like scissors cutting they're like we need sharper scissors and I'm like what the fuck what are they cu- what are they cutting yeah like when it yep start scissors come here and I'm just like kind of freaking out and yeah she was born and all went well it was all fine and then obviously she was born and the next the whole next stage is a bit of a blur how was it when you you held her in your arms for the first time well I remember I, I cried I cried I like I think it was a build-up of um of the emotions oh yeah physically emotionally, spiritually even, being a part of the birth of a child. Mm. So, yeah, I, I broke down and cried to your parents, you know, because I was just so rattled and happy and, and tired and, mm. you know, all sorts of things. Just I just knew my life had irrevocably changed forever. And I also one of the main things was knowing that you were okay because at the time, you, like I said, it's just doctor mm. speak. You don't know what they're talking about. You don't know. Um, and with the epidural and, oh, she could be paralysed. And I imagine the drive home was weird for you, Harry. Yeah. I remember the drive home 
back through the streets. That was early morning by that time. And no one was at the house because I would have went and talked to the housemates about it. So they weren't there. And so I went back to this house on my own. And I remember lying in bed and just, it was the strangest feeling. Like it was like euphoria. It was dread. It was like, what just happened? And you can't, you, I would fall asleep and I would wake up every few hours or, you know, intermittently. And I would for like a split fleeting moment say, why do I feel so strange? What has happened? What is going on? And it would take a split second and then I would remember and I'd be like, mm, oh, I'm a dad. gushing of, gushing emotions of wow okay that just happened and you know you start thinking about the morning and uh, get some sleep but that was one of the most surreal strange exciting nights of my life being in that house on my own in this city that isn't I can't call my home in a suburb I can't call my home in a house that isn't you know really my home and feeling that way it was Mm. but it was nice on the other hand it was really nice it was like you know I was kind of coddled by this one feeling that I'm a dad and all of that other stuff doesn't really matter that's That's (laughs) That's amazing and then talk us through so then Jade and Uh, Mia come home How, how was the adjustment to being a dad so the first six months of Mia's life, she was born in Melbourne and lived in Melbourne, which was kind of, I think it probably helped us not having too many of my friends around and, and just being a little bit... Isolated. Yeah, isolated. It gave us a chance to bond and create that family kind of uh, relationship before coming here to my hometown where I was going to know everyone and, and, you know, everyone would know I had a kid and it would be a kind of, not a big deal, but it'd be a big deal for me and my uh, friends. So it was nice to get that uh, six months in. I remember friends that close friends would come to Melbourne and they would come and see see Mia and and Jade and I and you know Jade's family and everyone everyone one by one would come and say hello. Yeah, and other than that, it's a it's a bit of a blur. What about when we brought Mia home and we would take in turns of holding her and we ended up like we knew that it wasn't right to like put them on the chest and fall asleep but by the end you and I were just falling asleep with this tiny little baby on our chest because she was just so content there and we honestly sat up our pillows were sitting up and we would just like he would take in turns of just holding her asleep like straight as a pillow and then I would take turns and yeah yeah, yeah there's a few things I remember about those actually those early kind of days was we had that upstairs kind of mezzanine level with a TV and then we'd have two rooms. There was a room for the baby and then there was a room. Or did we have a room for the baby? We had a room for the baby that never went in the room mm. once. It was just full of stuff. But I, I remember I'd be watching. So Jade would do the breastfeeding or everything till like nine and then she would try to get a few shut out, bit of shut eye and I would lie in front of the TV and watch and you never really fall asleep because you're so consciously aware mm. of um, what's on you. And it's it's annoying feeling because you can't, you never really sleep. You just kind of doze in and out. Mm. But that's that's as good as you're going to get and you're happy for it because I was on, on a single single couch. So not only am I scared of rolling off or her rolling off, it's um, a bit of a precarious situation. So that's that's how I got my my shut eye was just she would lie on my chest swaddled and I would um, kind of drift in and out of, uh, of consciousness uh, while the TV was on. But the other thing I remember was going in and trying to soothe her and I got this and I still do it 
today if I have Yumi and she's having a full meltdown is I do swing my hips in a figure eight motion mm. where I just drift in and out and you get into this like state where you can almost fall asleep and standing up standing yeah. up yeah. and you just don't stop and it doesn't stop it just con- it's just continuous and you know usually if you're standing there and you try different things you're gonna get sore you're gonna get sore back sore uh, arms are gonna get dead but this I found this yeah I still use it today that figure eight motion using your hips and just swaying and I remember all really this is a bit quirky but I remember really manifesting and visualizing them falling asleep and me trying to like spiritually get into their mind and say mm. like we're flowing here let's flow together mm. and 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 I feel like it worked well it's good because like it, it puts you in a calm state yeah and, and I think that's yeah. what it's all about I find myself doing that figure of eight even when I'm nowhere near any oh, of same. my children you just end up like swaying yeah. and you don't yeah. you've got a trolley a shopping I do trolley. it when I'm chatting to people and <laughs> yeah, they're like too. you don't you're not holding a baby and I'm like oh my gosh I'm just so used to I'm, I feel like you get to the point that you do it so much that it's a way to self-regulate yourself Absolutely. as well as the child I'm so used to regulating yeah. the child right and I really love that you said that because I feel like when you don't have kids you pretty much can give up or stop doing whatever you want when you feel like it because if you're over something you're over it but when you become a parent you just don't have that luxury anymore so you know you've got a child and responsibility and the end game is to get them asleep so if your back is aching or you are tired you're going to continue until that baby's asleep or you're about to wet yourself and you're like do I just piss myself here (laughs) do I risk trying to sit down on the toilet or do I just hold on until I've got a urinary tract infection Hundred percent, but it's that not. Is, just borrow on that. I know. And then, so at six months, you move up here. What was that like being back, kind of in your old life with your old friends? I'll ask you first, and then we can move on to Jane. Well, we, we lived in a laundry. We lived in the back laundry of my mum's house, and we cordoned cordoned it off. Do you remember when there was a few little renovations yeah. getting done? You know, and we had that. So that was interesting. But it was really cool to see. It wasn't, let's just, because you say laundry, for people to understand, it was like a back room and it had the laundry, a uh, laundry, like a thing in it. But it, it had, had a washing had machine a and a dryer in it. Yeah. And we had, to, we just like made up our mattress kind of area back there. So we, was, I remember we, we were on the floor yeah. and, and Mia was beside us in yeah, the cot. In the cot. Yeah. But yeah, it, it was really exciting. All my friends, all, all like kind of, chipped in and were really um, supportive and, you know, a lot of them, a a baby or a child was very, very in the future, far distant future Mm. for them. So it was would have been cool for them to kind of see. I I would have been one of the first, if not the first in my group of friends. And we we had a very close-knit friend group back then, still do, but back then it was probably closer. We're all very young, still catching up a lot more than now, obviously. And Jade had just, you know, after the last five years, built a rapport with all my friends over the years. So it was great to come back and it was really nourishing to come back to obviously this beautiful place, which we're so, so lucky to be able to call our home. And because it's been my home my whole life, it was, you know, even more special to be able to come back and just see the beach and not be, even in winter, you can go to the beach and all that sort of stuff. It was so much fun. Those first days taking you Mia to the beach was oh that was so special see I have a different take on it and <laughs> I was gonna say I've never heard Jade describe that period as nourishing no never <laughs> when I first moved you gotta remember I didn't have really any friends so I didn't know anybody and then you came and for a fair while you would catch up with the boys go surfing I know it's it's uncomfortable but I'm saying this is how it felt for me I felt 
quite isolated because you were able to have that freedom with friends and you were able to go out and I don't know, do sport. And I always felt that I was at home. I didn't know anyone, so I couldn't really do anything. And I was breastfeeding. So it's not like I had the option to be able to go, oh, it's my turn. I spent a lot of months not knowing my own identity because I just felt really lost. And yeah, it was really hard time for me as a young mum to move away from my family and then try and tell you or make you understand that I really need you because, you know, but then I knew you were excited because you wanted to see your friends, you haven't been with them for years and it was a real hard situation. I would have probably felt like, you know, and this is a selfish way of looking at it, but I can't deny this is probably how I felt. I probably would have felt like I was owed it because I did the five years in Melbourne, you know what I mean? Like I did that so, oh, we've got to go. And I think I even said that, you know, we've done this here, now it's time to go back. And I probably didn't take your um your feelings in that regard into too much consideration. So sorry about that. I well, I'm glad you're saying that ten years later. <laughs> well, got, yeah, no, like, but I feel like it held you in good stead for later on because people move to this place now and they struggle a lot, and sometimes it can spit chew you up and spit you out. But you you grew that independence and you made friends on your own, mm. and you've now you know now you've been here over ten years. And, and you, we came here quite a lot to build up to that. You know, we came and I introduced you to all my friends and family and people that I knew all the time. I was always really, I remember being really proud and, and open and willing to get you to meet everyone. You know what I mean? A lot of people a little bit shy in that regard, but I was always, always wanted everyone to meet you. I you were you very to, proud of me. I, I wanted you to meet everyone, loved showing you off. Um, and then, and then, yeah, and then you, you, built a strong resolve and independence by going to a new town and um, look at you now. Now now it's your home and you probably you couldn't ever live anywhere else, mm. which is, you know, you're, you're, we're very lucky to be able to say that. And look, I, same thing when I went to Melbourne, you know, similar thing. I, I didn't have mm. anyone. I'd never lived out of Byron. I was 18 had to you know i pretty much grew up when i went to melbourne as it grew from a boy into a man when i went to melbourne that was very beneficial for me but do you think hearing what jade said and like maybe with hindsight like obviously you were a 22 year old who'd become a dad for the first time like as you said you didn't have friends who had kids do you think that maybe part of you was somewhat trying to live like how you were living before you had kids and like maybe you didn't realise the well, immense change it had had on Jade's life? Well, I didn't, I didn't drink and smoke back then. So I never was, would have been, I was never out late, mm. just probably in the day going and, yeah, it probably would have been a burden, burdensome on her. But I think I was probably worse a few kids later and that's something that I do probably owe you a more of an apology for. When I did start drinking and staying out later and, and hanging out because, you know, I've already had a couple of kids and, you know, I probably thought once again I was entitled to to this kind of. Probably she's a veteran at this. Yeah, like, like we oh, right? well, we're yes. both veterans at it, you know what I mean? Like I, I've had the two kids too. I've been there doing the work, you know, I can do it. So probably later on I, I was probably worse in my behaviour and, and not giving her enough time. But I didn't think I would have been that bad because, you know, it's by and it's small. I'm not really. To his credit, though, I really took on a motherhood mm. as a real all-round role. Like yeah. I really made it quite clear that I could happily do everything and I probably didn't make him feel that 
he was needed as much as he was actually needed in the end Mm. with Yumi. So that's how our relationship really shifted in terms of parenthood because I, when I had Yumi, our third child, I I had to lean on him. I needed him. I mm. needed every bit of him. And he I feel like deep down he's always been happy to do that. If I communicate with him mm. and I need him, he will say yes. But when I had one and I had two kids, I just had this like it was like my duty. You work, you go to work, I can do this. You're like mum with a capital M. Absolutely. Yeah. But I didn't realize how much that actually destroyed me internally because I never asked for help. And Mm. I I wish I did. Mm. I really wish as a young mum that I told Harry how much I needed him or Mm. gave him a little bit more credit to go, you can do this, Mm. this and this and not have so much control. Mm. I feel a lot of mums just say, I can just do it. Mm. And they sort of sit back, go, well, all right, you gave birth. You just let me know. And then I guess the resentment creeps in and then you're like, I need help. Yeah. And it's like, but you never let me help before. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to pump myself up here, but I was always hands-on. I worked oh, you were hands-on. Hands hands yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think that you made a good point about not saying anything like as a selfish young man in his hometown after five years away, if you don't ask for the help, you know, I'm not going to take the initiative and I, I do now, 100%. That's you have to because of mm. postnatal depression and things like that. You have to be on the front foot or you can, it can just slip away and it can be, it can become very scary. But back then, as a very young, selfish, immature, new dad coming back to my hometown and doing five years away, you know, and if she's going to internalize it and not ask, mm. I'm just going to keep going with the flow thinking, oh, this is how it works. So, yeah, maybe that probably happened back then. But now we've definitely communication and everything has changed. And I think that's personal growth and it's me understanding that people pleasing doesn't actually help me in the long run. And so me now going my needs are more important because I have children that depend on me. I have more of a voice and it does take a long, like it's taken years for me Mm. to go, oh, this might upset someone, but at the end I'm actually just sharing sharing like my feelings it actually ends up being a lot easier than mm. what my mind anticipates totally. and when you be. ask for help and you're like oh that was that's so out of bad. my brain now and he's helped yeah. and, and it, it happens yeah. every time but he has always 99.9 percent always said yes if I've needed a hand yeah what was your upbringing like and how do you think that reflected or impact on the way that you parent? Oh, yeah, you definitely notice it as, you know, as the years go on as a parent, you notice how much you got from your parents, good or bad. Mm. There's definitely pros and cons to it. And you realise how big of a contribution they have. Mm. The old, like, you know, you just sit there looking. Sometimes you sit there and go, oh, my God, I'm my dad or I'm my mum, like mm. through and through. But and you, sometimes that's great and sometimes you're yeah, like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of good things that came from it. My parents, like I said before, had me in their 40s, mid, mid-40s, so they had a lot of old-school kind of um, parenting practices and, and, and little things like, you know, I'm pretty much obsessive-compulsive over brushing my teeth and that's something that I say to my – like my mum used to wake me up and say, have you brushed your teeth? And I'd just try and lie, yeah, yeah, and she'd get up get up and do it in the cold we didn't have much money growing up so we little things like that like my dad still goes to india and and he's 75 by the way mm. and he's got 
cancer and emphysema and he still goes to India and he still comes over and claims it as a virtue that he spent like $8 <laughs> on a hotel. And, and I've taken that into like recently Japan and, and a few things we've traveled, we've spent, you know, more money, but younger, when we we're younger, we really held it as a, as a virtuous thing to spend as little as possible. And little things like that, I, I see creeping in mm. from my parents. You really value the dollar and you don't feel the need to overspend in any part of our life mm. if it's not necessary. You don't buy clothes for yourself unless you have holes in your shoes. You don't feel the need to go and have a big food shop. You'll literally just get the basics. If we were going overseas, you'll get the cheapest flights and you'll get a hotel that is probably, you know, just (laughs) enough. I now, and this is the way it is, like we have all grown and evolved and, you know, Soph and I having this wonderful job has given us the perks to be able to afford more and, and share with our family. And in that sense, I've wanted to actually, you know, do things that I never did because my parents were younger, so they couldn't afford it. So Mm. it's a real privilege and it is really special. Oops, I said privilege, (laughs) but it's really special for me. And I guess for you, I think you cringe out sometimes when we do certain things because you think it's probably over the top, but it is a really nice luxury to, to have when you haven't grown up with it. Yeah, there's, it's, there's a few real tough ones, like things we buy for the girls, you know, I'd get the same things every year, deodorant, links deodorant, pair of socks. As in for like your birthday or birthday Christmas. Birthday and Christmas, yeah. kind of similar things. A book? Like uh, you I wasn't got into a, books yet. You got essentials as presents. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like just but, whatever but you we wanted. we were so happy. Yeah. We thought like it was exciting. But, and now like we spoil our girls like so much more and I, and I always hold hold that up to what I got. So it gets me quite angry and frustrated because, you know, we buy them a new doll and then I see last year's doll becomes redundant and Mm. gets pushed to the back. And I just see this never ending cycle that goes infinitum of just like consuming and, and spending. And it just, it kind of goes against everything that I was brought up with. And it, it does annoy me. And Jade on the other hand is like, you know, you didn't get this sort of stuff. So I want to be able to give it they want to you know you can adjust their perception of the whole thing by limiting how much you give them so therefore when they do get something they appreciate it more and we haven't given them the opportunity to do that because we've given them too much stuff that every time they get something if it's any less than what they've already been given they will lose appreciation for Mm. it and they will expect more to give more appreciation and it's a yeah, it's a tough cycle and a lot of parents, you know, and it's hard to even talk about because there's people out there that struggle to just get their kids a couple of things, you know what I mean? Mm. And um, so, yeah, it doesn't sit well with me and that's something we're trying to work on, trying to keep it to more experiences, things that they can remember and, and talk about as opposed to objects. and Chucking the back of the cupboard, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like just, just plastic, plastic crap, which we, you know, we're very guilty of uh, buying fall into that trap. Mm. Now, I don't want to skip over Billy completely, but we got- a She's little, a middle child. Uh, so yeah, yeah, we'll just she's skip used <laughs> We got so many questions, yeah. obviously, around Yumi, her birth, and the journey you've both been on since then. So I, I don't want to kind of miss out on talking about that, yeah. if that's okay. Yeah. But Jade's been pretty open about the fact that she wanted a third child. You weren't that keen. And you guys got yourself a third child. So what was that like for you? 
I think we talked about this the last time I was on the podcast, but I'll go over it again because it's a big talking point. So I remember when we had had, we'd been a few years with a couple of kids and Jade had always kind of mentioned that she wanted three. And for me, three seemed a little bit. I think uh, I said four, but. <laughs> three seemed a little bit extravagant and unnecessary at the time. And I, and that was the truth because I, like after two kids, in your early twenties, two kids, you know, 16 months apart and working and studying and trying to, you know, build up a life. And then all of a sudden, like I, my writing career of what little of a career it was started kind of, you know, I'd had a little bit of success and it was kind of building and I was so excited about it. And the kids were at the age where they started going to school. So I saw this light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. kind of, look, it wasn't always dark, but I'm just saying like in terms of my career and, and moving on. And No, and you move into a different stage of parenting when they're out of nappies and yeah. And I saw that coming and I, I was really looking forward to it. But in the back of my mind and, and Jade had kind of started saying it again, oh, I would love three. And she said in three or four years, I'd love to have a third. And I, as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, yes, three years. <laughs> like that'll be, you know, three years of just, you know, cruising two kids. She'll probably forget about it. <laughs> and I literally blinked and the next morning it had been four years. Yeah. And I had, I had won this writer's retreat out the back of Byron for a week where you're with other writers and you're working on manuscript. Um, and it was a big opportunity for me. It was, it was quite big and it was an exciting opportunity. And I remember being out there working on the book and Jade messaged me and it was so abrupt and it was so obnoxious the way, the way she, the <laughs> way she said it to me. She no, said, she said, I want another kid. And I was like, yeah, haha, you know, I'm working. Cool. Yeah. We'll talk about that. She's like, no, I want another child. And I was like, look, she said it nicer than that. But you know, I was like, let's talk about it later. It's all good. And she really kept going on about it. She was like, started listing off why she deserves it, why she wants it. And like totally made a, an argument for it. And was She'd like, been you at know, home going over the dot points. Oh, like, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Like I was getting dot points read out to me and like verbatim, this, this, this happened, this happened, this is what I want. This is, and anyway, I was like, oh my gosh. And anyway, we started fighting and bickering about it. And it was winter and I had a motorbike and I, it was about 40 minutes from Byron. She was like, yeah, like now I want, well, I want to try now. Not in a sexual and a nice. It wasn't like ride on not, in on your motorbike. No, I put no, a baby it was, in it me. It was like, it was a, like a conscious decision to inseminate. Like yeah. I was, peed on an ov ovulation stick and yeah. it came up like just red hot. And I was like, this is, it's now, this is it. So, so I, I messaged him. And I shut the laptop and I was so, I remember being so angry, like so, so angry. And I rode through the rain and I, just, I didn't even have a face mask on my mo. I was getting absolutely like feels Furious. like shrapnel, and I'm just on these sketchy roads coming 40 minutes from Byron. I remember riding home and look, it nothing untoward, nothing untoward happened, but we we it happened. And, he didn't speak to me, and I didn't happen. And I just turned around. Wait, so wait, so what? we had sex. We came, we came. So I came. I, I took my jacket off. We had not angry sex, but we had sex, and I just put my jacket on, didn't say a word, and got back on. And, and then he left. My motorbike went back to work back to my thankfully that's actually yumi was not conceived oh, in that okay. part no i was gonna say this needs to be turned into a bloody movie what no a drama. yeah it was, does feel but very it's, drama it's, and the reason why i was so affronted by the whole that whole thing was because i wasn't listening to no you. no we 
I, I spoke to your parents. I said, hey, so Jade really wants another child and I really was going to them for support. I thought they would totally understand. I've already got two. And I said, hey, Jade really wants another child and physically, mentally, psychologically and financially, yeah. financially, I don't think it's a viable option. I don't think. What do you guys think? Hoping they'll be like, yeah, I agree. Like, you know, you want to start saving for a house, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The opposite happened. There was encouragement. Uh, she, the, literally, the first thing that came out of mouth. Oh, if I, if she wants another kid, I think that's her prerogative, and I think you should, yeah, you should come to the table with that. And I was like, well, okay. And she was like, you know, we'll help anytime we can. Like, you know, you got a pretty good support network, you know. And if she feels up for it, and all that sort of thing. And I was like, so expected a, a more like. You're like, I picked the wrong audience. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought, because they're very um, good thinking, educated people. I mm. thought maybe they would agree with me. But no, they are uh, obviously got their, their best daughter interest, at heart, their yeah. best interests, all that sort of stuff. Anyway, so that happened. And, you know, not that that was the reason for my decision. But yeah, anyway, it, I asked them and that's the um, advice and answer I got. But what I should bring up now is you also said, I will do everything. You said, I'll do everything. You won't have to do anything to make a case for me to say yes. Yeah, I gave him no option out. And something that I'm not proud of is when when Yumi was born and things started getting tough with three children, every time things got tough, I felt vindicated in my early decision to say, no, I don't want one. So every time she was crying or he tried to eat and the kids were going crazy or there's a fight or someone's gone to the hospital or someone's got gastro, I would feel vindicated that I was right all along. And I did that to punish her. I did it for ages. I did it for like a year. Like I would always be like, oh, well. A bit I told you so. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it was terrible. I I would, you know. Oh, you know, see, this is what happens. Like we were out of, we're out of the tunnel, like careers were happening. And now we're back in this with a kid with gastro and it's just all happening. We're stressed out and we're struggling. And I would, yeah, I'd use it against her. And, um, I regret it. I regret it heaps. I've definitely moved on. And, and the irony in, in it all is Yumi, she's not really, but you know, she's my favorite. Because no, you guys have a very special bond. It's clear to see. Because I was so worried about how the third one was going to go. I was so, I was so scared on all levels. Like if health wise, a few friends of ours had had some problems and, um, thankfully they, they came out of it and that kind of hit home for me because I had had two kids that had gotten through and I feel like that was such a, a mm. very lucky, we're very, to we're very lucky children. to have healthy children. I was so scared about going through that again. Mm. I was like, we dodged a, a bullet of, of something hor- horrible happening and um, when she came out and she was just amazing, <laughs> which she always was going to be, but when she was, yeah, I really f- felt head over heels for her and we um we've got a really good relationship it feels really weird having this conversation because harry and i actually haven't like i've never heard his perspective on this story of ours ever and to hear him say that quite emotional i did i've got tears in my eyes because i i didn't realize that he really realized what he was doing to me mentally and in a way the self-destruction that I had for so long and the internal hurt and pain that I was doing because I t- I knew I said I told you so I can do it all and that I was doing everything. Like I didn't, even the day when I went to hospital, I didn't drop the baby off to him to go and get help. 
I walked in there crying with my hands full because I didn't want him to say, I told you so. Mm. It was just so much guilt and pain. And the reason why I think they have such a beautiful connection was because, one, I had no more capacity to do everything myself. Mm. I had to turn to him. We had to have that massive conversation about, yes, I did say that I could do it, but fuck no, I can't. Mm. I need you Mm. and I want to need you. Mm. And everything then started to rebuild because he then came to the party because he had to, but then he started wanting to. Mm. And then there was a bond bigger with Yumi and Harry than it was with Yumi and I because I had postnatal depression. I had too much going on in my mind and that love and that connection really took over with Harry when he had her a lot of the time. So this is why it's so amazing. Fathers don't give birth, but if you give them the option and you give them the chance to hold that baby and have that time when they can, they can have the best relationship mm. and a massive bond with a mm. baby than you'll ever know mm. if you if you let them have that chance. And that was my biggest mistake. Oh, you didn't make a mistake. Oh, look, I made a few ill choices, but it's it's more so for the fact of how I it, it's personal. I made a mistake and I'm really sorry for that. I think I've said it before, but I should say it now because that was yeah, I look back on that. I'm not proud of it. Um, I was just trying to, I just felt conviction because, you know. I, oh, and it's an easy thing to go to. It's like, I told you so is such an easy thing to say. Yeah, but I'm say. not an I told you so kind of gal. Like I would never do that to someone. Yeah, I, I, well, I artillerized it. Like I, I yeah. weaponized it and used it to make myself feel better when times were getting tough. And um, it's just, you can't do it and it's unacceptable. But I think we also had the conversation about the fact that around the time that I was suffering from postnatal depression, you were also having, what it, what's the dad's version of of it called paternal, paternal depression. Do like, you think that's something you've well, gone through? Uh, Jade, Jade actually mentioned it and thought, what after Billy? No, after Yumi. No, I I actually thought about this recently, and I don't think I had postnatal depression, the paternal version. I just think I was going through some stuff, and um, you know, having a third child mm. it doesn't help. Mm. Doesn't help where, mm. you, where your stress levels are at and what's happening at home or whatever I was going through. Um, internally. So I, I can't say that the baby itself, the birth itself created it at all. I, I already had those problems. So yeah, no, it's not fair to say that I had postnatal depression. I might have had a little bit of depression after you giving birth, but PND, no, I don't think I actually had that. And how was that experience for you watching Jade go through postnatal depression and postnatal anxiety? Well, I think she's touched on it before. I, she, I, she does. <laughs> I, um, but it's nice to hear from your perspective. It's really scary because you don't know, you don't think it's as bad as it is or as bad as it was. That's the scariest thing. It's the silent killer. 
And I was going through my own stuff as well. And this weird thing happens with Jade and I is that like when she's feeling off, I'm feeling really good. It could be a burden or it could be. It's a, like Sophie and I, it must be a thing that I yeah. just give out to people. And when you're feeling really good, I, I tend to dip down and, and it's it's not because of you well, at I all. No, I don't think so. I think it just is a weird thing that happens. It's not like you're up, so I'm going to be like, oh, she's feeling up, I'm going to be down. It just seems like. like <laughs> she seems to have this, I'm just going to go it down. It just seems that that's, that's kind of happened lately and it's actually worked in our favour because, you know, when she's in the pits and not feeling too well and I'm feeling good, you know, I can take more of the load and vice versa when she is feeling good and I'm not feeling, you know, we can, and, and it comes back to, to leaning on each other and communication and all those old adages that we keep mentioning over and over when it comes to mental health is yeah, communication, talking to someone, whether it's any professional agencies or uh, someone, you know, any, anyone really, but in terms of relationship, you uh, and your partner need to just talk about it. And oh gosh, like she doesn't know half the times that I'm feeling bad. I would just, I've done it my whole life. I've shouldered the burden because um, that's just what I do. That's been my role. And she did that in this uh, situation. She did that for ages and I didn't catch on. So she would always tell me how she was feeling, but she never actually told me the extent yeah. of where it was. So yeah, it's, um, and it's scary looking back on it. It's scary looking back on it because you, you look back and you see the signs now in hindsight, in retrospect, and you go, Oh, how did I, how did I not but see life that? Life at the time is so busy. Well, you've got so much going on. Yeah. Right? You've got the kids that you got to worry about. It's like, I can't. And what were I the signs? Shift. Uh, like, you know, just, just looking back about, you know, and I just was stuck in my own head or whatever I was going through. So what were the signs? I can't really pinpoint one, but I just, I look back at the, those months mm. and, um, you know, I, I wasn't holding up my end and, and in turn that wasn't helping your end. And yeah, I just know I could have done better. And looking back as a whole, I know the signs if I saw them again and, uh, I could do what's right. And when you do see the signs, because it has happened like, you know, a fair few times since I've had postnatal depression, I've had, you know, dips of not feeling too good. I feel like you, my biggest network and my biggest support is you. And he gives me this real comfort in knowing that no matter how bad I feel, I'm safe and I'm okay because he doesn't talk to me about my emotions because I feel like when I do that, I speak to a professional. Instead, he does things like um, he'll step up in terms of doing way more than usual, even though in the past few years he does a hell of a lot because that's his role but he will take the rein on cuddling me mm. when I'm feeling off or he'll take the rein on um checking in and making sure I'm mm. not on my phone too much or he yeah. will be very mindful of what I'm actually doing for my mm. mental health that would he, he'd tell me Jay can you hop off the couch and just go for a little walk around the it's so and I don't mean to undermine anyone going through anything but it is so simple like Jade has seen a professional and they're like oh you know talking about antidepressants and and certain things like that and I've and I sometimes say to Jade hey like if you and she doesn't drink alcohol much but let's just say a Thursday night wine you know with dinner I said to her if you exercise four out of five days you don't drink at all during those five days, you bring back your screen time by an hour or more and you go for a walk in nature 
drink a few extra glasses of water. I go, if you do that for a week and you don't feel any better, then go back to the professional and, and, and go back to the drawing board again. But until you eliminate those things by doing those small, tiny, tiny changes, um, you, I just don't think you should be worrying about the bigger picture that the bigger picture about the antidepressants and stuff and uh, don't get me wrong there's a definitely a time and a place for those things and you have been in that situation where you need those things as well but just recently and and I've been doing the exact same thing I've now said hey before I go back to my psychology uh session to spill everything about how I'm feeling I said hey have you actually gone and and taken the steps to limit your mental health situation like have you actually done it and as soon as i as soon as i started doing the meditations in the morning and the ice baths in the morning and the yoga in the morning and the walks at the lighthouse on my own or those little things and this little sly smokes on the side or those things like it's huge and you definitely you straight away notice the difference mm. so that's now that's what we do she'll tell mm. me hey you know don't have a coffee in the morning don't mm. get your don't get your nervous system up and running with a coffee get it with a cold swim and we've been doing that the last six months a lot and yeah the changes have been immeasurable and as you say the antidepressants may still be there but you can't tell me that those other things aren't gonna oh, help as well for sure absolutely yeah. but go through those first and if if they don't work then by all means go seek other treatment and do you feel like jade's was it jade walking into hospital saying there's something wrong with me was that the moment that you realized I can't ignore this anymore or wow there must be an issue was that was that the real light bulb moment for both of you well she she told me that after the fact oh you didn't know when she was there and hearing that from her was probably more of a shock as if I if I heard she was there so when she told me that that was that was really scary because I had no idea she'd even made that move and yeah that was that was very yeah, like I said, scary. And so, Jade, why didn't you tell him when you? Because when, it's, it's probably thought she couldn't rely on me, which is that's the saddest part for me, is and that's that's horrible to think. And I couldn't, I couldn't rely on him to take the kids because I didn't want to deal with the possibility that he might say, "See, I knew this was going to happen. I didn't want to burden him with the kids mm. because I felt that it was my job to mm. make sure that." they were okay Mm. and I just took it upon myself to I didn't even know what was going on Mm. I had no idea I didn't know Mm. if I had cancer I didn't know if I was having a panic attack I didn't know what what was happening I just knew that I was so not well that someone had to save me and I knew it wasn't going to be him Mm. really commendable though to just take yourself in there like if you're ever feeling at that stage in that state, you did it absolutely the right thing. Like, you know, say you did come home to me, I would have, yeah, I would have helped you the best I could. But the, the honest truth is I probably wouldn't have had the tools at, at that time to help yeah. you out. And you made the executive decision for what was right for you and your family and you went in there and you saw someone. And at that time, it sounds like the perfect solution it was. at the moment. And, and that's the reason why you're still here today and you're still doing so well is probably because of that moment. So well done. And for anyone else out there, I think that's a, it's a valuable lesson to, mm. to think about. But was it, and was it from that point on that you realized, like for both of you, obviously, Harry, were you like, okay, I need to 
do more. Oh, that was a, definitely a, a kick up the bum. Sure. <laughs> but it was funny because I had a psychiatrist call me 48 hours after I left the hospital and he said, how are you going? And I remember having a an argument with Harry and he doesn't like, he's not physical ever. Whoa, where are you going? No, no, no. He, <laughs> he just, he was so, I guess, disappointed or frustrated or whatever it was. He slammed a washing basket down and he walked off. And I told this to the psychiatrist and he said, Jade, that's, that's called an adult tantrum. You don't have to worry about something like that. And so he was saying, you're still worrying about someone else mm. and you, you, we really need to be focusing on you right now. So, but you live with this person who doesn't cope and is not coping at that time. So to have support when the only support really that I had was in a hospital or mm. a specialist room, it took a long time for us to get our heads around it. Um, it's also really hard to tell your parents that you are drowning. It's, mm. it's hard to express it with your friends. My friends were the ones that held me. I started seeing a psychologist and I remember calling her before I walked into the hospital and she just had nothing. It wasn't the one I'm seeing now. She just had nothing to help me. And I had Greta and I had my girlfriend, Shay, and they just they dealt with me all night and they just had a decision. They they made a decision and said, I don't think you can deal with this anymore. You're actually not even functioning as a human and drove me to the hospital. Mm. And I obviously didn't want to leave my baby with my friends or anyone and in I went. And the, the, the throwing of the, the washing basket, that's just a straight up me not being able to either A, comprehend what's going on and B, not being able to help or um, stop the situation. Like, And yeah. that's me just being totally vulnerable and not knowing and understanding and just came out as frustration mm. and, and because I felt incompetent. So I just, that's like Jade said and the psychologist said, that's, a, that's an adult tantrum. That's mm. not knowing how to cope with someone else and you not knowing how to cope with mm-hmm. it and just trying and just the first reactionary you know, thing that t- happened was me just throwing something. Not, think, at, not at you, though. No, God, no, okay. no, no, no. Let's get no, no, no. He, he just threw it on the floor. But what I want to say is I think for us, you know, we have been young parents. We have gone through a lot of ups and downs and we've actually only realised recently that we've never had a break in mm. uh, 15 years of being together. Mm. And 16, sorry. And the best tools that have helped us, like I feel like we are in the best season that we could possibly be Mm. in and we've gone through a lot, is both having a psychologist separately to have our own shit dealt with. Mm. Obviously, if there is relationship issues, then a combined therapist would probably be good. But that has really given us tools to then come back and communicate with each other. Mm. We definitely speak to each other more and respect each other's thoughts rather than just go, but I want to do this tit for tat. That doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, we still get annoyed at each other, but it doesn't last as long because we have too much 
too much on to actually waste time <laughs> and energy. So it doesn't. Like our, yeah. we, if we argue, our kids don't even raise their eyebrows. Mm. And that's just a normal mum and dad talking about something because in five minutes, and I feel fortunate of having Harry as my partner because any time when we didn't have kids, he couldn't go five minutes without me feeling good again. So there's always been a time where he's made such an effort to make sure that I'm happy that we always get back to a good mm. place. And I think if we were both stubborn, it would be a completely different story. The, the tip for tap thing you said is interesting because when you're fighting against the grain with each other and you go out, then I go out, and then you go out, and then I go out, or you have some time, then I have some time, it feels like tit for tat. feels like you did that, so now I'm going to do this. As soon as you start talking about it and communicating and meeting in the middle, you end up doing the exact same thing, yeah. but it's not tit for tat. You've changed it. It's like, oh, you want to do that? That's fine. Go go out and have dinner with your friends. And Enjoy it's it. just like you're not sitting there going, you know, oh, well, I'm owed one too. Mm, it just what am I going to plan? It just yeah. naturally manifests and, and naturally, yeah, it comes organically. All of a sudden it's like, oh, hey, origin's on. I'm just going to go, hey, that's fine. You do that. That's cool. And it's not, you're not thinking once, oh, yeah, I, I went on Thursday night. You, you can go on Wednesday mm. night. That's cool. It's more... I'm happy with myself and I'm happy with our relationship. I got to see my friends the other day, so I'm feeling good. Everything's good. Yeah. You're going to see your friends. You're going to tell me when you're home, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, it uh, just changes your, your outlook on the whole situation. Mm. It's And it's no different. The actually the, the situation is actually no different. Mm. It just come, It just seems different in your head. There's no anger. <laughs> yeah, there's no, yeah, there's no bitterness. And I feel like even the time I've known you guys, Jade, the way Jade has spoken about the way you two communicate or the roles that you both play within the family have changed so much. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, there, were, there was a stage a few years back, probably after Yumi, where once again I went through that little entitlement stage where it's like, oh, you know, okay, I... I given you this child which is just a terrible way to think of it but that's At least probably, you're not alone but that's, in that but that's probably how I felt and, yeah. and it was probably all subconsciously as well I didn't even notice that's how it was but it came out through my uh you know when I would go out and all that sort of thing and would try to stay out longer and all the things that we do and it's just not taking into consideration how they're feeling and how they're doing uh and it took me a couple of years and and like we've been together for 16 years and we've had kids for 10 mm. and we've learned every step of the way there's been new things to learn and it took me years to find that balance of going out and friends and and time and what we just talked about mm. before and in the last couple of years I've really nailed it and it's and like when I'd see my mates we all talk about how tough it is and how bad we're Now that it. they all have kids? Yeah, now that they all have kids and I, one of the things I would do is I would just agree with them to make them feel better and just and I would lower myself to as in if they were like, my partner's so annoying, she does this, this, oh, this, you just agree. You know, they hate us playing golf and all that just silly stuff, all that yeah. silly stuff. I'd just agree with them or just go along with the flow. And and in the last few years that that's changed, I now just like, I don't speak up because it sounds quite like rubbing it in and stuff like that, but I don't need to say anything because we're sweet. And like you, you get a lot of shit from mates, you know, oh, you got to leave or, you know, you're getting under the thumb or getting whipped or whatever those silly mm. those silly kind of you know misogynistic sayings are um and 
Now it's just like so above it, you know what mm. I mean? It's like, hey, this is what i got to do to keep my relationship mm. and my family afloat, mm. so I'm doing it. I don't give mm. a shit what anyone else thinks. And it took me a while to, to come to that conclusion, and a lot of people don't get there. And, yeah, that's that's something that I learned over time. And over the last few years, I've really nailed it. And it comes back to, like I keep saying, communication and things like that. And it's now paying off for both of us. Mm. And it's priorities. Like it just changes. Like what is more valuable in your life? Yes, you love your mates, but like where, who are you really looking after and who is there for you day in day? It's your family. So they're Mm. up the top every Mm. single time. And then obviously when we started uh, creating a business and it's just so weird how life goes because I would never have thought that Harry was going to be this sort of stay-at-home dad and I'm the provider it, it, well, it was never in our yeah. scope but it's this has happened organically and with those changes we have just done the best we can to make it work and I think that it's really paid off once again with communication of letting me flourish in this time and I just hope that you know in a few years or perhaps like any time from now you'll be able to go back to writing and flourish oh, yeah, I yourself. Am. I am back writing. What? Yeah. Honey. I've been writing for a while. Now. Honey. Yeah. Honey. Yeah. Well I tell you this. I Why are you playing dumb? I know I am just shit staring. Okay. <laughs> I am I'm proud of you. And what about having three girls? Did you ever go through gender disappointment? Yeah I Ashamedly, I, I did. The first one, I just thought as a boy, as a boy boy, I'd get another boy and we'd go surfing and, you know, I'd teach him all the secrets of the world and whatnot. And when it didn't happen, it was a bit, yeah, like underwhelming. But I was like, oh, whatever, you know, that's fine. It's, you know, I was stoked. The old saying, you know, as long as they're happy, healthy, you know. And then the second one, I thought, okay, we had a girl, then the next one will be. Going to get our pigeon we'll get, we'll, get yeah. the, we'll get the boy. And then that didn't happen. And I was not so much disappointed that we didn't have a boy. It was, I was just disappointed that I thought that we were going to have a boy. Mm. Like as soon as they were like, girl, I was like, oh, cool. It's two girls. Yeah. And then then the third one, I had absolutely no expectations. Mm. I'd lost all that. I didn't care anymore. It was whatever. And I just kind of had a feeling that it was going to be three girls. I've got two friends that have five girls. And, uh, you know, and something in the water, most of my friends have girls Mm. and I just, I just was already resigned to that. But yeah, the first one, we kind of, we had all these boy names and I think Mia was just like, while we were there, we just dropped it, had all these boys names. We did so much research. I had all these soccer player names that I loved (laughs) that were different and anyway. And the, the thing with the third child, and I have mentioned this before, I know that Harry never cared of wanting a boy, but I also put that internally on my own shoulders to push and think I'm going to give him a boy yeah. because that would be nice for him to have. <laughs> like you have some kind of conscious Yeah, like I'm a fucking magician. It. And then when I found out that it wasn't, I burst into tears with gender disappointment because I was like, this is our last child, this is it, and I'm going to go back and tell them that it's a it's girl. Wrong. And with gender disappointment, I think it's got, you've got to be really clear with this. It is so normal to feel like that if you have in your mind an idea and you keep going over and over while you're pregnant that you are going to have a boy or a girl. Because when you find out that it isn't that gender, it's a shock to your brain mm. and it takes a while to mull mm. over. But I have got to say, and you can speak for this, 
our three daughters are absolutely individual. They are nothing like the next one. And it all comes down to personality, not gender. Back to what you're saying about the disappointment. It doesn't help when you go to family barbecues and your uncle says, I have gotten this right 15 times in a row for the last 20 years. I've done it every time. I've never got one wrong. Comes over, feels the bump. He's like, I've honestly, everyone's chirping in. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's the maestro. He's the Nostradamus. He's got it. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, whatever. Then he's like, oh, yeah, boy. It's going to be a boy. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. And I'm like, ooh, a little bit excited. Like, okay, a boy like actually took it on board. The maestro and got, spoken. And got roped in. And, um, you know, things like that just get in your head. And I can't so stand silly. it when people are like, I always know. I'm like, yeah, except for 50% of the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't know. And then you never admit those ones because you're too busy focusing on all the ones you do know. <laughs> one, one thing that was, was frustrating was when I can't remember if it was the first one. I think it was the first one with Mia. We never wanted to do the surprise because when you get told it's a surprise anyway and as young kids we knew a bit of the family would be able to chip in and want to buy us like presents and nappies and cool things like that and we didn't want to make it harder for ourselves or anyone else in terms of gender and things like that so we always thought it would be a surprise but when the guy's like oh yep the gender are you guys going to find out or do you want a surprise and jay and i kind of looked at each other and we're like oh We'll find out. We barely even left our lips. Oh, yeah, we'll find out. And he's like, yeah, it's a girl. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> he's like, yeah, mate, she's a girl. I said, whoa, 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 hold up. I just see this blurry ultrasound image. Can't even see that it's a zygote <laughs> at all. And he's just like, yeah, mate, see there's that little squiggle of that thing. He's like, yeah, that's a, uh, yeah, that's a vagina. She's a girl. And I was just like. Could have just yeah hesitated built it, could have for just one up a little bit. It was said, "Hey Jade, she'll be fine." Yeah, mate, she's a girl. <laughs> and I was like ready to slap him. Yeah. I was like, "Man, can you?" I, I remember I said, "Are you sure?" Yeah, like, "Are you sure?" And he's like, "Yeah, mate, see that's." He good. wanted to like build up and go. Oh, okay. I know, and he just oh, yeah. So that was you know that might have been the um the gender disappointment. <laughs> yes. Was it you being told not the sonogram? Now to wrap it up, you have reached a decade of parenthood. Mm-hmm. You have a 10 year old. What are you worried about over the next decade? And what are you looking forward to over the next decade? And what are your hopes for the next decade? So having girls is quite difficult, right? Like as a as a dad, I think every dad could agree probably doesn't make it any more difficult than a boy but you know the, the being the same gender it could help a few things especially later on when you start having those tough conversations but Mia let me just say this before I came on here I asked Mia a few questions uh like literally before I walked in the door I like tried to hug her or something she's like oh get off me and I was like oh what what other things do you, you hate everything about what do you hate she, these are the things she rattled off she, at 10 she hates she my hates she hates my yeah hates a strong word but you know yeah, that's yeah, the only yeah. Way she's she 10 of, this is she can't say these are the things that disappoint me yeah, yeah and before he says this they had like they'd surf together it's this is the change that we see in hormones in girls getting a little bit older if you ask the question what do you like prefer about when they were younger or now mm. yeah the good times when they're younger is they don't back chat you and fight you on everything we went surfing together these are the things she hates about me my broken finger and then she went on to say every finger because they're short and stubby and hates when i change the radio stations because she sees my fingers oh, she hates God. how i hug her every second 
She hates how I repeat myself over and over, and that's like, can you brush your teeth? Can you get in the car? Which is totally normal. You're like, I've got an easy. She hates how I forget her name. (laughs) You meet me, Billy. Meet me, Billy. Too many kids. Too many. That's that's that. She hates when I beep at her when I leave school. She hates me talking. (laughs) That was one she threw in there. She hates calling her Dal. Dal, can you hop into bed? She hates when I sniff her ear, which is just like a dad thing. Playing, I fiddle with my feet like ADD on the couch, hates it. She hates when I tell her to shush, which is like, you know, shush, which is fair enough. Most people would hate these things anyway, let alone a 10-year-old. She hates when I look at her in the rear vision mirror and she hates Morrissey, the singer of the Smiths, more than anyone. And if there was anyone that she hated more than Morrissey, is Anthony Bourdain. Oh, RIP. Yeah. Hates Anthony Bourdain, hates that I like Anthony Bourdain, can't stand his voice, can't stand his shows. It's such an important thing to bring up, though, because I feel like when you're in the depths of babies, toddlers, Mm. it can feel all so suffocating because they just want you so much and they want to touch you and be near you and all these things. And then you do, you reach an age and all of a sudden you ask, what don't you like or what do you hate about me? And they're able to rattle off a list oh, yeah. as though it was no effort at all. <laughs> Absolutely. Look, we love each other. She loves me. But, yeah, uh, I'm the annoying dad. I don't have a boy to annoy. So I the girls get annoyed and, like, girls get annoyed. Like, full <laughs> stop. They really get annoyed. And um, Yumi doesn't get annoyed, like, at the moment. And that brings you yeah, to that age. Last night, try, hey, you haven't seen your day. Can I have a cut? Of, nah, get away. Like, Elsa wants to be Elsa. But oh, yeah. Your she question about what am I worried about? Look, social media is huge. Um, that's probably one of my main and it's quite difficult because, you know, Jade's business and her career is built around social media. That's the main one. And What are your worries with social media, them being on Jade's social media or them having their own social media? Oh, just social media in general and, and them being on it and what comes from being on social media and, and you can't get away from it because she will be on social media like 99.9% of all the other kids that are growing up today. If I can hold that off as long as possible, I will. And because what comes with social media is boys and drugs and they're the other two things I'm really, really scared of. But um, I've got four or five years before I really have to start worrying about that and I'm going to enjoy those four or five years. But she's 10 now, like we keep saying, and it's uh, it's getting closer and closer and it's it's been such a quick journey. Uh, roller coaster, a great journey, but I'm going to hold off from worrying about those things I just mentioned because they're all entwined if you look at them closely. They're all linked to each other through the other. So I'm just going to enjoy the next four years without having to worry about either of those things. And what do you feel like have been the highlights of the past 10 years? Oh, gosh, like the little things, getting our first wave, you know, things like that, surfing, like growing up near the beach in those early years. And the the great thing was she didn't realise she couldn't differentiate big surf and little surf. Like now she sees a one foot wave and is scared shitless of it. But I took her out two, three foot what he goes with a life vest on, on the front of my mouth, bombing bombs. And they were just so fun. And like I said before, she, now she's got her own mind, conscience, uh, all identity. those uh, identity. Yeah. All those things. And. Back then, I know that she did, but on a much smaller scale. Mm. Like she, she wasn't embarrassed about me at school. She wasn't those little things, and you know they're little things. But you look back now and you go, "Oh, that was nice." You mm. know what I mean? They were totally. And the reading books, reading books, you love to do that. You still tend to do that when they are, you know, 
in a nice mood. They love letting you read to them. And- it sounds heavy, but when they're vulnerable, it's nice. Like mm. when they're sick, I, I take a really big role when they're sick because yeah. I remember when I was sick and, you know, you just want someone there, even if it's like not helping, but just mm. being there. That's the role I like taking. And, you know, when they're vulnerable, all that, you know, the things they don't like about you, that all falls away. When they're vulnerable, <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the little things like the surfing, the first wave, the, you know. Showing her you, your people, primary if, school. Yeah, yeah, that was that's <laughs> really cool. They go to the school that I went to. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, they've got some of the teachers that I had. Mm, that's really, you know. That's scary. That's, a lot of people have to move a lot um, in this day and age. And to be able, for her to be able to do that like me, and I know how much of a amazing, fun, crazy upbringing I had, um, if she can have just a, a small portion of that, I'll, I'll be happy. And what are your hopes for the next decade in terms of it could be about your family, you guys as a couple, you individually? I hope that Mia, like I know the way she treats me now is just like, you know, that 10-year-old kind of thing and, I, and I'm, I've got thick, thick enough skin to know that that's how it works. But if she, if she can know till she's an adult that I will always be there and like she can tell me anything and um, that, yeah, I will always have unconditional love for her, uh, then that's all that really matters. And it's really hard for her to understand that now because she just sees me as the disciplinarian and the dad and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, she, I, I don't expect her to comprehend it now, but in the next few years, which are going to be formative years for her in terms of growing into a young woman, that's the time that I need her to understand that I will always be able to play that role. So um, that's all I can ask for. And I say this to the girls a lot. They're like, oh, dad's so annoying. I'm like, it's hard to let them understand. But like, you know, my dad had to work a lot. My mum had to work a lot. They've got a dad that is around a lot mm. like for him to be annoying is because he's there he's he's willing to be there he's willing to have the conversation he's willing to annoy you a lot of people don't get that opportunity mm. and that is a really special mm. thing and they should be grateful for mm. it so sometimes they sit there and go oh you know and the funny thing is and I say this to him sometimes when Harry's not home and he might just be at soccer train or he might be anywhere right It'll be one hour, they notice, and I hear, Mum, where's Dad? Mm. So they might think he's annoying or she might say, oh, Dad, hate, hate, hate this, but she can't sleep if Dad's not home at night. She can't feel comfortable unless she knows where Dad is. How come Dad's taking so long to get home? We are all pieces of this puzzle yeah. and regardless of what comes out of her mouth internally, she needs him just as much as she needs everyone in our family. No, she knows that no matter how much she hates your fingers, you're always going to love <laughs> yes. her. And that's the most important thing. Yeah. It's nice to hear that because, you know, those little things that you don't, I don't get that, yeah. you know, on, in a day-to-day really. There's, there's moments, don't get me wrong, but to hear that, it's kind no, of No, they've got to keep you guessing. It's and it, nice. it is true they though. We are all so busy that I don't stop and tell him those moments and it drives me mad because I'm like, I've told you, he'll be home in two hours. Yeah, I'm like, fucking stop here. saying that. It stresses <laughs> me out. I'm like, am I not enough? Yeah. But then. And then I get home enough. and they're like, oh, yeah, dad's Yeah, home. because I just like, need the safety. Yeah. Our dad's home. We're all together. We're feeling happy. 
It's so well, thank you so much for joining oh, thank us you today. So, thank you for having me. And it's an honour to be here, especially after your success. Success. Oh, now that we're now that yeah, it's yeah. successful. I was on I was on a few on. years ago and it was a bit like, oh, you know, I guess I'll do it. But now it's like get me on here. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm joking. But well done, girls. You're doing well and that you know, everyone's seems to be enjoying the podcast and I hope everyone likes this episode. Oh, thanks, Ben. Thanks, yeah, thank you. And congrats on 10 years, you guys. Thanks. Ah, to another 10, eh? Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on ya. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.